Uh, good morning. I'm going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to let you know we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 8. So that's Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. And we're going to continue. We've been doing this series on preaching on the book of Galatians. And it's been a couple weeks, so I want to kind of do a little review kind of where we are. So uh, Pastor Chad and Eddie have been kind of working through the book of Galatians, and we're at chapter 4 and starting in verse 8. But I want to do a little review on what Galatians is. Well, you know, what is it? So this is one of the letters that Paul is writing to the churches. And Paul is writing these letters. When he can't be there in person, he's writing them these letters from other cities to help them along, correct them if needed, teach them, instruct them, all the things that he doing not just as a preacher, but as a really a spiritual father to these, to these congregations, to these groups, these churches. And Galatians is not a specific city, it's a region. So in modern terms, it would be in the present-day country of Turkey. Uh, back, back in these times, but it would have been considered Asia Minor, would have been considered the re- region of Galatia, several towns. So some of his, some of the letters are written to like Thessalonians, which was in Thessalonica was an actual city, or Corinthians, Corinth was a, was a city. This is more like a region. So, like if I said Evansville, that's a city. If I said Southern Indiana, that's a region. So Galatia is actually a region of several towns, and Paul's writing to them, and he's given them these instructions. And we believe this is to be one of his is one of his earliest, probably his first letter, and he's dealing with this issue of, okay, Gentiles are getting saved. So non-Jewish people are getting saved. And there are groups of Jews who are saying, well, these Gentiles need to become Jews. They need to follow the Jewish law. They need to follow the the law of Moses. They need to do these Jewish practices. It's not enough for them just to believe in Christ. And Paul has to address that because he has to clarify, hey, Jesus, the Messiah, when he came, he fulfilled the law doesn't mean he did away with the law. It means the law was, to tell, was telling us you cannot live up to God's perfection. You can't do it. The law is, is impossible to perfectly keep for any human being. But Christ came in the form of a man, kept that law, died for our sins, now and resurrected. And now that is that righteousness, that being right with God, is now transferred to us if we accept what he did for us. So if we try to go back to the law and we're still trying to keep the law, then we're, we are going to end up contrary to what Christ did for us because he's the one who fulfilled it because we couldn't fulfill it on our own. So this is the struggle that Paul's having. He's having to write to the Galatians and explain this. And he's, so he's been to this region. He's built these churches. He's started these congregations and now people have come in after him who are, te- who are teachers of the law and are saying, you, you must follow the law, and they're turning people against Paul. So Paul has to kind of have, some of his writings, he, ha- he has to be kind of firm, he has to be tough at times, saying, have I, have I wasted my time on you? Why are you going back to this law? And we're going to get into the scripture and see that in a little bit, but he has to he has to make a firm point that they have to understand you're saved through faith in Christ, not by following the law. And we, so we're going to get into that. Now, in Galatians 4, he, 
So you have to have that background to understand Galatians 4. He also references an account from the time of Abraham at the end of the chapter. And we'll talk about that in a second too. But without those pieces, if we just read through chapter 4, it would be very confusing if we didn't have the context and we didn't know the past account that he's referring to uh, from Abraham. Now, I want to start off before we get in here. We may say, okay, well, this, that's great. You know, this is almost 2,000 years ago, and we, we don't, maybe we don't really have the debates over the Jewish law. What does this mean to us? As we're reading through this scripture, how do we relate to it? And I want to tell you, as we're looking through this, there is always the temptation as human beings to make things into a religion. Religion is performance-based. It is, I follow these certain things, I do these certain things, I have this certain moral code, or I do these certain ceremonies, and that makes me right with God. And that still exists in the church today, that mindset, that that's what makes me right with God is because I do these certain practices, I do these certain things, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is not you're saved by doing these things or these, these religious duties, responsibilities, codes. It, our message is salvation through Christ and what he did for us. So let's get started in, this, in the scripture. Galatians 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So they're going back to practices of I honor I observe special days, and I do these, these are religious ceremonies that they're doing. And I do these things, and that's what's going to make me right. And Paul's concerned. He's worried about them, that they're putting their faith in their efforts of doing these religious practices, and that's going to make them right with God. Previously, when they didn't know God, if you don't, know, if you don't have a personal relationship with God, you are at the mercy of other people telling you what to do in order to be right with God. And they'll give you religions, and they'll give you, they'll give you things that you have to follow, rules and, and lists and all of that. And you may think, well, wait, we, the Bible has a lot about sin. And what? Yes, absolutely. We're definitely, ne- never get conf- mixed up on this or confused on this. Paul repeatedly is very clear that our freedom in Christ does not give us an excuse to sin. But also have to be very clear, and that's what this sermon is going to be based on. You have to be very clear that religious practices and do's and don'ts do not save us. We're saved through faith in Christ. So, got a question for you before we move on to the next section. What's wrong with religion? I know I've said, well, it won't save you. But you know what happens when you get into religious practices? There's only two outcomes, and both of them are bad. If my salvation, my standing with God is based on how well I perform, either I'm going to perform 
poorly. I'm going to see that I cannot perform like I'm supposed to, and I'm going to feel condemned. I'm going to feel discouraged. I'm going to want to give up. And can I tell you, sharing personally, I'm acquainted with that feeling. I've been there. I've been in that I'm not good enough and feeling that condemnation. It's terrible. But what if I do perform well? Or at least in my mind, I'm performing very well. Then what do I become? Self-righteous, arrogant, trusting in myself, looking down on other people who aren't as good as me, right? Either of those outcomes are terrible. You don't win either way with that. You either become, you're either discouraged and condemning or you're self-righteous and you become arrogant and both of those are, are, are a loss. That's not a win either way. That's why, that's why religious practices, and can, can, can we say that's a real problem in today's church? In the church today, those are real issues, not just 2,000 years ago. Let's move on in the scripture in verse 12. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing for me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul was ministering in Galatia, and we, best as we know, he was having an illness with his eyes, as he mentions something with his eyes. He bonded with the Galatians in the truth of the gospel, but this is exactly what religion will do to us. It will turn us against people that tell us the truth and say, hey, salvation is through Christ. And religion says, ah, no, I want to I feel like I'm doing it on my own. I want, I want to feel righteous because of what I'm doing and, and you know, compare myself to other people and I'm better or I'm worse. Let's move on a little bit because this next part really jumped out at me and I think this is, this is exactly what religion leads us to. Verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over, but not for good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. I'm going to come back to that. Zeal for them. No, zeal for them, not for God. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, but I am perplexed by you. I'm going to go on a little Further, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine purpose. And this is what I want to focus on at this point. I want to talk about what it is, this being zealous for them. What do I mean by religion? Again, no, I'm trying. I'm trying to really trying to work out this definition. What does this look like? I want to make it as as practical and as relatable as I can. 
It is, oh, I'm right with God. Is it, is it because, and notice the law, Jewish law was a wonderful thing. That's the best legal system we've ever seen, really. You look at the one that what God set up in that law, hey, it was great things. But if we put our trust in that, we miss out on genuine salvation in Christ. So if I say, well, I'm a Christian, does that just mean, well, I just go to church? Or I just read my Bible? Or I just pray? Or I just tithe? Or does it mean that I'm saved through Christ and I want to tell other people about salvation in Christ? I love what Pastor Chad said, that that genuine, not just a hollow message, but that genuine belief that God will provide for us and will heal us and deliver us and that we share that with other people. And I want to suggest today, hey, this would be a real easy message to preach and say, oh, don't fall for legalism or don't let people ensnare you in religion. But I want to say today, I realize looking at this as somebody who's grown up in church I'm not necessarily the Galatians who are kind of new to the faith. I might be those people who are trying to teach religion. Because those who are teaching religion had grown up in, this, in the Jewish law, and that's all they had known their whole lives. And that's what they want to share with others and tell others, you need to follow this. And the Galatians were kind of new to their faith. And it's tempting to say, well, we, we must be like the Galatians, and we need to avoid those who are preaching religion. But if those of us who have been in the church for years, what if we're the ones that are at risk of teaching other people religion instead of genuine, instead of genuine following Christ? If I try to minister to people, and our, both our locations, we are excited about reaching out and reaching the neighborhoods around us. And what if I go out and I say, Yes, uh, believe in Jesus, and then try to conform yourselves to be like to be like me and my experience in church. That's going to be a problem, isn't it? What if I go out to the neighborhoods and I say, "Okay, I want you, you know, I want you to change how you talk. I want you to change how you dress. I want you to change how you behave. I want you to do. I want you to change these things and become what I expect a church person to look like, instead of." Salvation through Christ, that's going to be a problem, right? What kind of message is that? If we go out and say, well, we just want you to change yourself and be like us, and what are people going to look at you and go, why? What? I have enough problems. I don't need to take on, I don't need to, somebody tell me what, how, to, how to act and behave. People we want to reach, they need a real message of hope. If God loves you, he wants a personal relationship with you. He loves you so much he died for you. He wants to bring actual blessing and change into your life, though change your heart, not just change the outside. Wasn't that Jesus complained about the Pharisees? You keep trying to clean up the outside, but you don't do anything for the inside. And is it possible that the church, I'm not Condemning all of the you know, American church, but hey, I've grown up in church my whole life. It's not hard to find uh, groups or circles that will just say, well, let's just change the outside and never talk about what's needed on the inside.
I've been to very good churches, but hey, that is a, that's a tempting mindset to get into, even for well-intentioned people. It's easy to fall into that. So I want to flip this message around from, hey, we're, we're the Galatians who should avoid legalism to, hey, what if we're those people who are, who are zealous to win people so that, they'll be zeal- so that they have zeal for, for us, for our mindsets? for what we think church people should do or be? Flip that around and say, what, hey, what if that's us? What if that's going to hold us back from reaching the people around us? What if I go to my coworkers and say, hey, um, here's a list of things that you need to change about yourself so that you fit my mindset of what a Christian looks like or what, who would be right with God? That's probably not going to go over well. And why would it? Like, it'd be like, I've got my own problems. I have all kinds of other people telling me how to behave. Why are you different? Everything around our culture is telling people how they should behave. Everything, television, social media, everything, everything's telling people what you should do. If we're just another one of those voices, no one's going to listen. They're already flooded with that. What they need to hear, what could actually cause a change is saying, God loves you. He died for you. And he actually has purpose for your life. Meaningful purpose. Change your heart. Meet those real needs in your life that, you, that you're crying out for and you don't know who to cry out for. And there's a God who actually want, who wants you to cry out to him. That, that's a message to share. I know that there's a temptation to think, I've just had these conversations recently. Nothing bad about this, but just want to use it as an example. Thinking, you know how things used to be in in America, in the United States? You remember when everything, everything was closed on Sunday because there was kind of a certain reverence for Sunday. And you could turn on the TV and you saw clean TV shows that tend to have tend to have good morals, and you go a little farther back, and you had prayer and Bible in school, and actually a school system originally was founded on the Bible. That's how you learned how to read, was reading the Bible in school. And I, I know, I'm tempted to say, why can't we go back there? Why can't we change our culture's behavior so it looks like it used to look? We can't. We can, we can preach that. We can fight for, well, I want to change our culture to it looks again like I wish it looked. We need to preach the gospel. God will change hearts. And then we'll start seeing some meaningful changes. But if, if our entire approach is I want to try to force the culture to behave the way I want them to, it's not going to work. The church has steadily lost its influence over society over the past several decades because we've been teaching behavior instead of genuine relationship with God. And maybe I'm a little bit guilty of that myself. <laughs> I'm, hey, this, you, you know you have a message when, it's, when it impacts you first. You, you want to always share a message. You don't want to just throw, you don't want to preach at people. You want to share something that's impacting you too. Hey, I have, to take, I have to take a look at myself and go, have I just wanted people's behavior to straighten up and be what I think it should be? Or am I, am I really wanting to see people saved and transformed by God? 
if we recognize, so we recognize that in ourselves. Let's say we realize that. Let's say, what am I going to do? Because my mindset's been, I want to give people, I want to change them to be like what I think they should be. And that's, Paul gives us this example of Abraham. Now let me explain a little bit. So in, in Genesis chapter 16, now who, who's this guy Abraham? Okay. He's what we call, we call like the father of faith, or we call, he, so he's the one, God called him out of the country he was in. He travels to this other place, and God begins to reveal to him, I want to give you this, I want to build a nation out of you. That nation ends up being the nation of Israel. So Abraham's grandson, Jacob, his name is actually changed to Israel. And his children, or we call them the children of Israel, his descendants. That's why we call them children of Israel. So Abraham is what we call like a patriarch. He's the guy that is brought out, and he goes to this land, and he's really like the, found, the founding father of the Jewish nation, what God builds into the Jewish nation. Which is strange when you realize that even as an old man, he hadn't had any children. He hadn't had a son to have descendants. How's he going to become a nation if he doesn't even have, if he, he and his wife can't have children? His wife's name is Sarah, and Abraham receives this promise. Both of them do. Abraham and Sarah receive this promise from God. Sarah's going to have a son. And that's going to be the start of your descendants are going to be like the sand on the sea, and your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. And Sarah's too old to have kids. She's barren and too old, and Abraham's, it, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, so what do they do? Sarah gets to the point she's frustrated with God's promise and says, Hey, uh, Abraham, here's my, here's my slave girl, here's my slave, the slave woman, my servant. You have a child with her like a proxy through me, and that'll be your, that'll be your descendant. Now, that probably culturally sounds really strange to us. But it was actually pretty common back then. To, you'd have children through, uh, if your wife couldn't have children, you have children through a, a female servant. It was like a concubine, as you, you would call them, instead of your wife, and you'd have descendants that way. Yes, weird to us, but common then. So they do this, and he has a son and names him Ishmael. Through a human idea, this is how we're gonna, this is how we're gonna fulfill God's promise through our human efforts. This will work, right? And they find, and they realize it ends up, Sarah does end up having a son. They name him Isaac. God comes through. God delivers on the promise he made. And the man-made human ideas, the human efforts to try to fulfill God's promise really just get in the way. Because God was going to fulfill, all along was going to fulfill his promise. He was going to give them a son named Isaac that was going to be the start of Abraham's descendants. Paul uses this account as a metaphor for our human religion versus God's salvation. So I'm going to pick up in verse 24, and we're going to finish out this chapter. So he's just said in the previous verses, a son by the slave woman, according to the flesh, and a son by a free woman, born as the result of divine promise. Verse 24, these things are being taken figuratively. The two women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem, 
because she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more of the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. He's quoting Isaiah 54 there. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never have a share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free, of the free woman. That's title of my message today is, is Children of Freedom. Now, I can kind of read through that. It can kind of sound a little wordy. What, what is he saying? He's using a metaphor here. He says, hey, that, that real account of Abraham in Genesis 16, so he has, a, he has a son by natural means to try to fulfill this promise, and then he has God delivers on his promise, and he has a son, Isaac. In Genesis 21, we see that Ishmael is mocking and is, is persecuting Isaac. So Ishmael was the son by flesh. He was human efforts trying to, fit, to fulfill God's promise. And Isaac was God's promise. And it's, it's the same religion will attack genuine salvation. Salvation is God's promise to us. And, and religion will attack it, will persecute it. If we, let's be honest, if we're out there sharing the gospel, I know my thought has been when Jesus says people will hate you if you, if you, if you're, if you're like me, people will hate you. I've always thought it was people, it was the unbelievers who reject Christ. It's not always that. Some of the worst persecution, especially the early church, were the religious people. And it's funny, I know, I know that academically, but I don't know that I ever really stopped and think of, to think about what that looks like present day. But if we are out sharing the gospel, genuine gospel, there will be people who say, ah, you're not doing it right. There may, be, there may be religious people that say, you guys are doing it wrong. You should be, should be trying to make people look a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way. You should be doing that. And instead, we're saying, no, look, we're sharing the gospel. Yes, along the way, we will have to address discipleship, sin issues, things that are addressed in Scripture, of course. We'll have to do that. We need to do that. That's good. That's healthy. But when it comes to just making, if we, all we get are more church people and not genuine Christians with a personal relationship with God, we have failed. We don't need a, we don't need a, bunch, of, a bunch more church people. We need genuine Christians to know the Lord. So if we see that mindset, what's Paul's solution to that mindset? Hey, look at Genesis 21 where Abraham has to run, has to run Hagar and her son off because they do not share in the inheritance of Isaac. It's a metaphor for the same way. We see those religious attitudes in ourselves, we got to get rid of them. Say that doesn't have a share in the gospel. The gospel is like Isaac, the child of promise. Hey, we see that in our, those religious attitudes we want to try to put on other people. We've got to take that, get rid of it. We've got to stick with the gospel, stick with the scripture. 
I'm going to go ahead and invite the uh, worship team if you guys want to come on up. I want to share a little bit more, but uh, you guys can go ahead and get ready. So, been talking a little bit about practical application of it. But what does it really look like to us today? You in your family, your workplace, all of us here, we know, we know people around us that need, that need the Lord. They need Jesus. They need a real they need, they, need a, they need a real salvation. They don't need a, a, another religious system. And I want to share something with you. I hope this comes across and makes sense. But even anything can become religious. We, we humans are very good at building religious systems. It is, our, it is our nature. There are some trends within the church that talk a lot about freedom. Oh, we're very free. We're freedom, freedom. Oh, that's great. Hey, I've been, I've been around some of those circles. They, always, they talk a lot about freedom. Oh, we're not religious at all. We're freedom. And as soon as you don't act like they do, they tell you there's something wrong with you. Right? Sometimes they act kind of wild and crazy, or they, they, they act certain ways to show how free they are. And if you don't, oh, there's something wrong with you. It's like, I don't think there's something wrong with me. What, 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 what are you talking about? I've known, I've known that that can become even a message of freedom if it's just a certain ways that you act. Oh, I act wild and crazy or I shout and dance and run around the room. I, I have no problem with any of that. But when it becomes, well, if you don't do this, you're wrong. It's turned into a religion. It's turned into a religious practice. That's just the way they, they do things. Anything can become a religion. No matter how much we say freedom, real freedom is that you actually know God. That's real freedom. So, whatever church background, moral code, whatever it is, we gotta we gotta say, hey, salvation comes through Jesus, knowing knowing God personally. I'll tell you, I've known some of the groups that are super into freedom, and they just it's just a license to kind of act crazy. I personally know people who have renounced their faith and walked away from God because from that. Because it never fulfilled them. They were super into freedom, but they didn't know God. Vice versa. Known the people very religious, but they don't know God. And they get discouraged and they, and they renounce their faith and they walk away from God. They're not serving God anymore. It's like what I was saying before. Either way, religion fails you either way. You'll end up discouraged or you'll end up trying to make people, like the, ver- like the scripture says, trying to make people zealous for you and your beliefs. You'll end, up, you'll end up arrogant or discouraged. We need a genuine relationship with God. So I'm going to invite all of us to pray about this. Take some time now. We're going to worship the Lord. Pray about it. What, is this, what does this look and mean to you? What does this impact have on how you interact with people around you? Family, workplace, neighborhoods, church. If anybody needs prayer, come up. I'd be happy to pray with you. Pastor Chad can pray, can pray with you. We'll, we are a praying church. We're happy to pray with you. Any point you want to come up for prayer, if you just want some time to think about this, pray about this with the Lord, that's great too. Let's, uh, let's worship the Lord. thought with you 
people like that testimony that uh, Pastor Chad was sharing. There are people that cry themselves to sleep, crying out for some sort of hope. We're carrying that hope. We're the ones that carry that hope that people are at night crying for answers and hope, some sort of purpose. We're carrying that. The church carries that hope. What stopped us? What has caused the church to become the least impactful to our society that I've seen in my lifetime? I'd say right now is the church seems at its weakest point that I've seen in my lifetime of being able to impact the world. We have we're carrying the very thing that they're crying out for. I'm going to suggest that our I think our religious structure, our religious hate to say structure because we do need structure but I think church people trying to convert other people to be church people is the very thing that has has diminished our influence and our impact on on our society if the gospel turns into just another voice telling you what you should be it's going to get drowned out in our society the gospel's got to be a clear voice saying there is a real hope and a real purpose something real for you I'd be able to share that with others and hey I'm not not trying to change the way you dress or the way you talk I want to share real hope with you and that real hope will change you it might not and it's still changing me too it's not just about the outside it's about the inside close in prayer but let's let's share that message Lord thank you so much for today thank you for this word thank you Lord so much for the for the scripture and Lord also for your spirit speaking through the scripture Lord show us any religion or law that is preventing that beautiful message you've given us from getting to other people and help us to drive it away like you've given this example in your word, Lord. Drive it out of us. Drive out that religion that's hindering us from speaking clearly to other people. Lord, speak through us. Reach this community. Lord, we have positioned ourselves to impact our community, our two two cities we're in, and we're not going to be happy unless we do. We are eager. We are excited. We are determined to impact these cities for you. We won't be happy unless we do. We won't be happy until unless it's a genuine relationship with you, God, not just filling chairs with church people, but genuine trans- transformational relationship with you, God, through your gospel. Lord, we, we cry out for that. We, we beg, Lord, and, and, and reach out, Lord, for that very thing work through us and and impact people around us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.